Money FM 89.3. Best of your money. Money and me on your money. Only on Money FM 89.3. Hi, Michelle Martin. Welcome to Money and Me. Kicking off really soon today is Bitcoin 2022. That's a huge conference. The world's largest gathering of Bitcoiners. It's how it is touting itself. A four-day pilgrimage, it says, for those seeking greater freedom and individual sovereignty. So Bitcoin 2022, this huge Bitcoin event, is it going to possibly lead to any interesting revelations? What could that mean? for the price of Bitcoin. We'll get into that a little bit later. But first up, we have several topics to get into this morning when it comes to cryptocurrency and markets. I want to start right here in Singapore with the travel rule. First up, let's welcome Vijay Iyer, our guest commentator today, VP Corporate Development and Global Expansion at Luno. Good morning, Vijay. Morning, Michelle. How are you? I'm doing really well. Let's talk about the travel rule. So this rule has applied to financial institutions like banks for over 20 years. Essentially, banks use the SWIFT system to interact with each other for this purpose. And the point of the rule is to mitigate the risk of money laundering and terrorist financing using crypto. Now, in June 2019, the Financial Action Task Force extended the travel rule to virtual asset service providers. And since and regulators around the world and uh, VASPs have been coming to grips with just how to implement the travel rule for the crypto industry. Here in Singapore in February, crypto exchanges like Crypto.com and Gemini, they announced new regulatory measures in compliance with the travel rule, a set of transfer requirements laid out by the task force. It's been incorporated by the Monetary Authority of Singapore as part of the Payments Services Act. Essentially, users will be required required to provide additional information for outgoing and incoming digital token transfers, like, for example, the names of the parties involved. So I wanted to do this and chat with you, Vijay, about it because I saw an emailer from Luno on Tuesday advising customers on what will be expected from them. And I thought it would be really useful in the context of personal finance to get a sense of how some providers like Luno are interpreting the travel rule. Uh, what are you going to be expecting from customers in terms of sending or receiving cryptocurrency? Yeah, Michelle, thank you. And I think this is um, you know such a key topic generally. Uh, and it's also just a larger part of how we see regulations coming into the crypto space and governments taking a more kind of concrete steps to make sure that the industry is safe um, you know, for retail and the mass market, right? So I, I think you covered the broad kind of aspects well. It's obviously a very similar system to what we see in the traditional banking system called SWIFT. Essentially, uh, you know, if you're sending crypto from one uh, platform to another, you need to provide certain information, and that information needs to pass through to the other provider. Essentially, just making sure that there's a very clear kind of information gateway that goes through uh, about what these transactions are, who they are sent to, right? And the larger goal is basically to prevent money laundering, anti-terrorist, you know, financing, and so on. And it's been defined by the Financial Action Task Force (FATF), which is basically an intergovernmental body that sets these. Standard. At Luno as well, you know, we're one of the earliest platforms in Singapore to implement the travel rule uh, with our partner, Nota Bene. And the challenge for us is, and if you think about it, is it's basically a traditional banking kind of uh, mechanism that's coming onto crypto. So there's a lot of challenges in kind of implementing it, right, if you, if you can imagine, because crypto by nature, obviously a lot of these transactions 
are anonymous, though they can be tracked on the blockchain. But now we're having to actually put in place uh, certain parameters for customers to enter into for them to transfer these assets. So it took a lot of work on our part, but we were one of the first ones to implement it in Singapore as part of our licensing process as well uh, here. From a customer's perspective, like our goal is to just make it really easy for a customer to even understand mm. what this means and how they need to do it. So that's what we've been focused on. And hopefully uh, using our platform, customers find it quite easy to kind of implement it. But again, just to summarize, mainly just to make sure it's safe and easy to use for people, we're able to track these transactions and make sure that these are all legitimate transactions. And it kind of brings, it legitimizes the whole industry a lot more in general. So has anything changed in terms of what your customers can and cannot do? Not really, right? Essentially, all that's required is when you're transferring assets out of our platform or bringing assets in, you just need to provide certain additional information. That's very basic information in terms of who you're sending it to, whether you own that wallet that you're sending it to, or if it's third-party wallet, etc. So you basically just need to provide that information and that's done. So yeah, it's just a bit more of an information capture. But other than that, there's not uh, any other kind of major restrictions. Because I'm looking at the mailer and it says you can only send or receive crypto from a private wallet that belongs to you. So to your point of third-party wallets, if I wanted to do a cross-border payment, could I do that? Yeah, so ideally you need to be able to recognize or identify who you're sending this to. So in case it's a wallet that you are sending it, I mean, that you own, you need to be able to verify that you own it. So that's the piece about that. But you can send it to a third-party wallet as long as you have the information of who you're sending it to. Exactly, yeah. Got it, got it. All right. Thanks very much for helping us understand that. Let's move on to U.S. sanctions. Now, the U.S. Treasury Department earlier this week imposed sanctions on a prominent Russia-based darknet market site and a cryptocurrency exchange that it said operates primarily out of Moscow and St. Petersburg. So the sanctions are against Hydra and currency exchange Garantex, published on the Treasury Department's website. Uh, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen said this sends a message to criminals that they cannot hide out on the dark net or their forums. Blockchain researchers say about 86% of illicit Bitcoin received directly by Russian crypto exchanges came from Hydra, uh, which the Treasury Department has described as the world's largest and most prominent dark net market. So these new sanctions essentially prohibit U.S. individuals uh, from the U.S. from making or receiving any contribution or provision of funds, goods or services to Hydra or Garantex. I like how Wired says it. Wired's a publication, digital publication. It says, more than just a market for illegal drugs, the dark website allowed criminals to launder or cash out hundreds of millions in stolen cryptocurrencies and that these new sanctions uh, essentially cut off what would have been seen as a crypto ATM for uh, illicit players. So, the question for you, I think, is, is this an important step forward in combating crypto crime, Vijay? Right, Michelle. I think uh, it is an important step, right? And by the way, you can apply this to any other exchange as well. I mean, obviously, this is in this case, is just Russia. But of course, there's a lot of exchanges that aren't regulated. And essentially, if you think about it, like as you see more of these regulations come in across the world in various countries, you will see exchanges like this being targeted if they're not either registered with the local regulator or they don't follow, um, you know, the requisite KYC or uh, AML kind of checks and so on. So just in this case, like you mentioned, Hydra, I mean, it's like you said, it's a Russia-based darknet market. And yeah, 86% of illicit Bitcoin received directly from Russian exchanges came from Hydra. So 
there's a very strong case there to kind of freeze those assets or sanction anyone trading with this exchange, right? So I think it's an important step. And like I said, it's not, not just Russia. Any kind of exchange that deals in illicit activity will be targeted and you'll see a lot more of this for sure. What is the likelihood of uh, such dark net sites popping up again in some sort of other incarnation? So it is. it happens, right? And I usually refer to this as the fact that um, even when, you know, if you go back to the early internet, there was a lot of the illicit activity that kind of got slammed down as a lot of it became formal regulated. Mm-hmm. So once you have regulations, larger part of the sector becomes formalized and legalized. So right now, if it's maybe 80% or 90%, you're getting to 95% by having a lot more regulations and kind of sanctions in place and so on. So it's basically uh, marginalizing really the illicit activity. And this is, I mean, this is the right way to go, right? And we're seeing a lot more of it, even the UK, as you saw, uh, you know, a couple of days back coming up with strong statements around regulation, right? All right. Let's move now to what Elon Musk is doing. Musk has taken a nearly $3 billion stake in Twitter. And it's his favorite social media platform. He's bought a 9.2% stake. And it was initially revealed as a sort of, you know, people thought it was a passive investment. But yesterday it was revealed that the Tesla chief will join the ranks at Twitter on the board of directors. And as part of the deal to join the board, Musk has agreed not to bring his stake any higher than 14.9% from the current 9.2%. Apparently, the CEO of Twitter, uh, Parag Argawal, and Musk have exchanged tweets expressing their excitement in working together. Over the past few months, we know that Musk has promoted Dogecoin, even allowing for the coin to be accepted as payment at Tesla's supercharging stations and its online merchandise store. Yesterday, we asked our guest and commentator, Swapnil Mishra, for his thoughts on what this could mean for both Twitter and Tesla. Today, we're asking what could happen in terms terms of the broader crypto markets given Musk's influence on the market through Twitter, I might say. Dogecoin was up 11% following Twitter's announcement of Musk as the newest member of its board of directors. The second spike in two days for Dogecoin on Musk and Twitter-related news. So, from your perspective, Vijay, how did the crypto market react to news of Elon Musk coming on board Twitter? Um, yeah, no, this is uh, this is very interesting, right? With this aspect of Elon Musk taking a board seat and a big stake in Twitter, and then him being quite vocal about his support for Doge and so on. So basically, you're seeing the market react to connecting these two news events, right? So hey, let's say what happens if you know Twitter starts accepting Doge, or uh, it, you know, or Tesla. Obviously, there's uh, kind of rumors about Tesla accepting Doge and so on. So I think. There's a lot of that activity and and the market is reacting to that, right? You saw the price go up. I would say, you know, a few years back, if someone talked about Doge, it was very much in that in the meme coin space and you could have a laugh out of it True. but this is the beauty of something something like this is the beauty of decentralized platforms and, and blockchains right if someone's interested they can actually promote a blockchain or an open kind of system by bringing in the right kind of people to build and, and develop on it so you know, people still laugh about Dogecoin, but you never know, right? These kind of things, if Elon really takes an interest and he gets a lot of developer activity on a platform like that, there could be some momentum for it. So I think you're seeing a reaction from the market. There's a, there's a big kind of community that seriously follows Doge and obviously follows Elon as well. So they're trying to kind of, you know, speculate on what might happen here, I guess. There is a community, a huge community behind Doge. I'm I'm still laughing about it. I guess maybe I should stop. <laughs> so that's that's exactly right. So it is funny, but that's the thing. It's it's a community that believes that there's a way to kind of 
come up with systems that mm. no one controls mm-hmm. and can actually proliferate by yes. having strong kind of involvement by the community from developers and so on and you're seeing this with something like doge it's still early though i think there's a lot to kind of kind of play out but with someone like elon who's obviously such a big cult figure on twitter and his kind of support for doge like you never know what might happen so yeah this i suppose ties in with news or expectations i should say from some commentators that musk could push for doge payments to somehow be integrated into the social media company's platform and then what would what might this do for doge right i mean speculative for now but how is it doing by the way doge following this news yeah well, i think broadly you you got a spike with the with the news event but i think the market correcting a bit at this point if you notice um so i think with the broader market you're seeing some of that correction at this point so So, yeah, I think it was a very news uh, reaction to a news event, essentially, that spike. Let's look at the overview for Bitcoin. Uh, I learned from your newsletter that 19 million Bitcoin have entered circulation on Friday. And there's just 2 million to be released Mm. because we know Bitcoin supply is capped at 21 million. Uh, Vijay, are you seeing any immediate rush for demand? No, I think the, the you know those are large numbers, right? And this is this is also I don't think most of the market when they kind of see 19 million. I mean, it was 18 point something million yesterday, so it's not like it's changing materially. Mm. But of course, if you take a very long term macro perspective, it's a huge deal, right? There's basically a percentage left of the supply to kind of come in, and the inflation rate is kind of you know pretty much known and going down, right? So I don't see an immediate reaction because it's not an event that is on the radar of traders generally. If you if you think about it. Uh, but it's an important fact to kind of consider that most of the Bitcoin has been mined as in circulation and the remaining 2 million, like you said, is going to be mined over the next um, you know, odd 100 odd years, essentially. right? So it's, it's a very, very slow kind of release into the market. All right. Is Bitcoin still within a certain range around 45,000 or so? Where's yeah, Bitcoin um, We were at 45. I think we were, we're correcting a bit at this point. Uh, still much, still very much in kind of bullish territory if you ask me there's certain levels that we need to kind of watch quite closely like i would say 42k 40 to 42k uh, but we're well above that at this point so healthy correction um still i would say expecting 52k or, or a bit more from here but let's see let's see how this pans out a major bitcoin conference about to kick off bitcoin 2022 kevin o'leary going to be on the main stage um investors going to be you know, doing some lightning round matchups. Uh, there's going to be discussions on the evolution of Bitcoin mining, institutional challenges. What are you going to be looking out for? Yeah, all of, all of what you mentioned. And broadly, if you think about the crypto space, a lot gets talked about with Ethereum and a lot of the alternative kind of blockchains. Not much gets talked about around Bitcoin. And because, I mean, it, it just seems like one of those slower development kind of blockchains. But the background is this. So much work that's going on and it is because it's such a international decentralized community it's the most decentralized kind of you know, blockchain that we know of right um and just i don't know if you followed but just yesterday there was some uh, news from the lightning network where they you know talking about being able to issue assets on bitcoin stable coins on the bitcoin network very similar to how you can issue stable coins on the ethereum network right so essentially a lot of these developments that you see on the other blockchains they come to Bitcoin a little more slowly, primarily because it, it, is a, it is much harder to kind of get things done on Bitcoin at the pace at which you can do for the other blockchains, because it's much more decentralized, varied community across the globe, right? But once these things come onto Bitcoin, it's probably the most secure and the most, most kind of reliable network. There's a lot going on actually in the background on, on, on Bitcoin. Like you mentioned, 
a lot around mining, around institutionalization, around lightning payments and, you know, assets being issued on the Bitcoin blockchain. Uh, you know, definitely these are things to look forward to. Okay, just want to pick up on that one point because when people think Bitcoin, I think they think literally of a coin, something that they can hold, store of value. But mm-hmm. when you're talking about Lightning Labs, for example, this is about bringing low-fee stablecoin and asset transfers to the Bitcoin mm-hmm. Lightning Network, right? Exactly. Um, so I think of Bitcoin as being the base settlement layer. And essentially, people understand Bitcoin. It takes 10 minutes for a block to be mined. And essentially, 10 minutes is what you look for for your Bitcoin transaction to be settled, right? In real-time format, that's actually a long time to wait, right, for a transaction to settle. Hence, there's something called the Lightning Network, which is kind of a layer on top of Bitcoin that helps settle transactions at instantaneous speed, essentially, right? So that's essentially what Lightning is. And now they're talking about bringing other assets on top of uh, the Bitcoin blockchain, like stablecoin. So think of Bitcoin as base layer and then a layer on top of this blockchain where you can do things much in a much faster manner. Really interesting. Thank you, as always, for bringing us up to speed on movements in the, the crypto space. Vijay IR is VP Corporate Development and Global Expansion at Luno. I'm Michelle Martin. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.